0: I invite you to bow your heads with me as we consider the message for this morning. I already told you the title, but titles mean nothing without the Lord's guidance. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for the fact that we could have a new beginning in Christ, and the old has passed away, and there are things that you have desired for us to leave behind us. And Lord, today we ask for your spirit to speak to each heart individually. We may be a unified family on one plane, but in your sight each one of us has individual value. As we now enter into this new unsullied year, we pray for wisdom and dedication to find us and to encourage and Strengthen and motivate us to pursue the goal that you have in mind for each one of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you get ready for a holiday, you think less about what you have at home and more of where you're headed. When we returned home on just a couple of days ago or four or five days ago, Tuesday, I noticed something I forgot to do before I left. My wife always makes sure that the kitchen is cleaned up, and she bags that last bag of garbage, and she says, don't forget to throw it out before we leave. Well, would you know it, I forgot to throw it out before we left, but I left it in the garage. And when I came back and We pulled in the garage. I realized I had old garbage in a new year. And I decided, well, you know what I need to do? I need to throw it out. And that became a motive for my message this morning. Why are we keeping garbage from an old year, dragging it into a new year, some way hoping that maybe its intrinsic value will still remain as long as we hold on to it. So, you know, confession is good for the soul, heart, on the reputation. I got some bags of garbage from 2020 I need to throw out. Can anybody else identify with that? You don't have to tell me all your business, but I know that some of us have stuff that we need to just get rid of. That's why the words of the Apostle Paul were so important to me, because he talks about focusing beyond the here and now, The Christian life is not a station at which we arrive, but it is a continual journey. It's a continual focusing. The Christian, recognizing that he or she is not a citizen of this planet, is continually focusing beyond where they presently are. They are looking there. Like Abraham says, he's looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Christian should never become satisfied or fully enamored by this world. We should be continually looking forward, continually pushing beyond the here and now. We can pass a year and say, well, there's got to be more, and I'm going to continue pressing. And that's why the Apostle Paul said the way he did in Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. I love the way he framed it. Because he framed it in a way that I am not satisfied with where I am. I know that beyond this moment, there's something better that I need to keep pushing for. And so he begins with that word, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Never get to the place where you think that you have perfected anything. Because you've heard the saying before, practice makes That's a lie. There's no perfection in his life. Practice makes you better than you were before, but there's always room for improvement. He says, or am already perfected, but I press on. Why does he press on? That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And I love verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Another word there is arrived. But one thing I do. How many things? One thing. And here it is, which is a hard thing for humans. Forgetting those things which are where? Behind. Reaching forward to those things which are where? Ahead. And here it is, like the Olympian. I call Philippians the Olympic book. I press toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Whenever you're following the Lord, your life is not going down. It's always going up. It's going to a higher level, a higher place of attainment. You are being able to become better, stronger, more resilient, more buoyant. You are becoming a stronger person in Christ. Your life never goes down when you follow the Lord. When you read the Bible, you discover that those who try to run from God, their lives go down like Jonah, down to Tarshish, down to the ship, down to the lowest parts. But every time you go to Jerusalem, which is a symbol of the church of God, you go up, up to Jerusalem. You never go down to Jerusalem. God's goal is that every one of us every year go higher than we were the year before. God's got goals for us. And my wife knows this. I set goals for myself every year. We set goals for ourselves. To a couple of days ago or even yesterday, I said, what do you want to do differently next year? And she began to outline her goals. Don't call them resolutions because resolutions are cliches. And you don't have to wait till January 1 to start something new. If you wake up in the morning, that's a new day to begin something new. But the wise man Solomon made it clear that when we get down to the end of the year, he said in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8. And By the way, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes right now together. He said, the end of a thing is better than its beginning. That's all I'm going to take. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. I was listening to the commentators on television. Those who are preparing to walk out the old year. And I've heard some phrases. Some of them said... We need to just bag up 2021 and just get rid of it, throw it out, bury it, burn it. 2020, thank you, sweetheart. We need to get rid of 2020, bag it up, get rid of it, burn it, throw it out, bury it. And some people say, oh, it was the worst year we can ever remember. Well, brethren, we ain't seen nothing yet. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> if 2020 challenged you, you better get yourself a new <laughs> you better get yourself in all armor, not under armor. You better put on the whole armor of God, because 2020 is just a glimpse of what is on the horizon. We ain't seen nothing yet. I heard the story about a somber way, a somber method that this particular town ended the year, how they ended the year, how they celebrated the end of the year. When I read the story, it says everyone attended the event. It was the largest funeral service ever held. The entire village had been planning for the entire year how to bury the past. And the edict was all of your transactions and your tradings, all of your struggles and your victories, all of your falling downs and standing up, your tragedies and triumph, we are going to eulogize on December 31. They said you can't take it with you. So brethren, 2020 gave us 365 days to plan for the future. When we got together a few nights ago here in our fellowship hall, and I think Mike Babby always gives us that New Year's Eve countdown clock, and we were talking and talking and talking, and we got down to maybe four seconds before we realized we just got four seconds left. And we hugged and welcomed in the new year. And then we spent some great, wonderful time on our knees, thanking God and praising God for how he brought us through. But what was even more sobering than that is when we stood up, the clock kept turning. And there it is. It kept turning. And I said, Lord, have mercy. God, in his faithfulness, has given us 363 days Five months, 18 minutes and 22 seconds, five hours. God has given us all that time to do something differently this year than we did last year. But you know the other somber part of it? The only guarantee we have is right now. We don't even say we have that much time because I also put up this world clock and I was looking at the thousands that are dying every day, the thousands that are being born every day. And when we think about that, it surely does sharpen the text when the wise man said, and we're going to put this somewhere in our church. I talked about this with uh, my head elder, Joel Bryan, because our passage for the new year was, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 2020 gave us 365 days to plan for the future. And what a turbulent year it was. But 2020 also allowed, to us, allowed us to inventory where we were, where we had been, what we have done, how we have failed, how we have succeeded. But now 2021 gives us the privilege to get rid of the old and make room for the new. I heard another story about an Italian folklore. It suggested that in this particular Italian village, They brought on the new year in in a most unusual way. It's an amazing story. As midnight on New Year's Eve approached, the streets were cleared. The police cleared the streets. Even the police remained out of sight. There was no traffic, no pedestrians. Even the police decided to take cover. But suddenly at the stroke of midnight, the windows of the houses were swung open To the sound of laughter, music, and fireworks. As each member of that household began throwing things out of the window. Some people threw out old garments. Some people threw out furniture that they hated. Can you imagine being on the street below? In that village, things were flying out of the windows. (laughs) That's why the streets were cleared. Some people threw out personal possessions that reminded them of something in the past that they were determined to remove from their lives. It was a tradition, according to folklore, in a particular Italian village. And all they did the next day was clean up all that stuff and carted it off and left it at a dump somewhere. They were determined to throw out the things of the past. Now think about it for a moment. If that custom was celebrated in our family, I must give you a question. What would you throw out? of your window for the new year? What would you get rid of? What would you decide you no longer need to carry over into 2021? And I'm sure that if you sit down and think about your life, where it was and where it's headed, I am sure that you can go home and look at your house in your room somewhere and say, honey, why do we still have that thing in our house? But even deeper than that, Why do we still have that thing in our lives? Why do we still have that thing in our spiritual practices? Why do we still do the same things over and over, expecting different results? How can God challenge us to move beyond what we have become accustomed to, the tradition of religion, and become a people that are more calibrated to the blessing of spirituality? What can we throw out? It's more than a custom because Solomon, go to Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 6, that Italian village, they had a wonderful practice because when you think about it, it's more than a custom. Solomon acknowledged the reality of getting rid of the past and making room for the future. Notice what he says. He says, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and what else? A time to throw away. Now, let me also add another picture to this. Every time, and this is in 2020, we have a shed in our backyard that has stuff in it that Ramona, I have no clue what's in there. Now, we intended to get rid of that stuff Maybe 10 years ago, Jason. And we keep saying when the weather gets warm, we're going to do a spring cleaning. Well, we have. We've been cleaning out our garage. You can follow the pattern. That's the same in some of your lives. You take stuff out of your house. You put it in your garage. Then you take it out of your garage, and you put it in your shed. And your shed becomes a funeral home for stuff that no longer has any value. But then every now and then you walk in it and you see all this stuff and you think to yourself, I need to throw it away. But then this little voice inside of you says, but what if you throw away something valuable and you haven't seen it for 10 years? Well, once again, confession is good for the soul, but terrible on the reputation. I may invite you all over to help us clean out our shed because one man's junk might become your treasure. I have things that you may need, and I'll be glad to give it to you so that you can put it in your shed. But there comes a time to throw stuff away, and I've been looking at my life spiritually, inventorily, and the more that I find, and this is the blessing, the more that I find that there are things I need to get rid of. You know what I've been learning? I've been learning that God has been giving me spiritual insights into his word that I didn't have before. Why? Because I'm getting rid of me and saying, Lord, I want you to fill that place with you. And I can guarantee you, if you start getting rid of you, God will say, now you're making more room for me. That was the problem with the birth of Christ. There was no room in the end. God is saying, you got to throw away the stuff of the past, get rid of it so that you can make more room for me. But there is something good about ending the year, the old year. John Rice wrote, he said, no matter how spotted our past may have been, our future is spotless. Kathleen Wheeler gives a parabolic story of a little boy and his teacher to teach us a valuable lesson. She says, he came to my desk with quivering lips. The lesson was all done. He said, dear teacher, I want a new leaf, because I've spotted this one. So she said, I took the old leaf, stained and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted. And then into his sad eyes I smiled. Do better now, my child. And then she compares that to God. I went to the throne with quivering soul. The old year was done. And I said, dear father, hast thou a new leaf for me? Because I've spotted this one. He took the old leaf, stained and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. and then into my sad heart he smiled, "Do better now, my child. Is't that good for God? See, God's mercies are new, not every year, but their mercy His mercies are new every what, every morning. So we don't have to wait till 2021, write all these things down. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that when God gives you the privilege. So I looked at that, and the other night we talked about that in our bringing the new year in and praying the old year out. I, I gloried at the reality that God is, in fact, giving us an unspotted page. Come on, say amen, somebody. But we now take by the actions of our lives, our thoughts, our deeds, our plans, our commitment or lack thereof, our study of the Bible or our or, or enamored uh, 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 addiction of the world, we begin to write our own story. God doesn't write our story. We write our own story. But Ellen White said in the devotional we read the other night, she said, Can you put into something in your life that which you hope other people will never see? And I remember what she said here. She says, um, Brethren and sisters, I wish you one and all a happy new year. We live in deeds, not years, in thoughts, not breaths, in feelings, not in figures on a dial. We should count time by heart throbs. He most lives who thinks most, feels the noblest, and acts the best. And then she talked about how we write our own stories. She said, seek to begin this year with right purposes and pure motives as beings who are accountable to God. And this was a sobering part. Ever bear in mind that your acts are daily passing into history by the pen of the recording angel. And she writes, you must meet them again when the judgment shall sit and the books shall be open. Isn't that sobering? If your life was opened up for the world to read, how many books would you sell? How anxious would you be to pass out the books of your life? Or would you rather say, Father, I've confessed that, I've forsaken that, and he says, I've cleansed you from all unrighteousness, and we can pass out books with the only word on the page, pardoned, forgiven. Well, Philippians makes it clear the issue is not whether we need to do better, the issue is how do we do better? Let's go to Philippians 3 and verse 13. Not whether or not we need to do better, that's a fact, but the issue is how do we do better? Philippians 3, 13, the apostle Paul wrote, in striking clear tones, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are ahead. He was comparing his religious life with his spiritual life. I studied further into this. The Apostle Paul, the reason why he pointed that out is because Paul was a deeply religious man. What kind of man did I say he was? He was deeply religious, but he was not spiritual. Paul was a man of great accomplishments, a man of great education. He had all the qualifications to be a great Pharisee, a great teacher. Paul was a very religious individual, but he came in his transitional experience between being knocked down and his sight being restored, he came to realize that the religious life and the spiritual life are not the same thing. Think about it for a moment. Religious people crucified Jesus. But spiritual people did not. And what he was saying is, it is possible to be religious without being spiritual. Let's go to Matthew 5 and verse 20. I'm going to unpack this in the way that the Lord has shown it to me. It is possible to be religious without being spiritual. That's why we have to be very careful about banking our salvation on knowledge and ignoring that our salvation is only based by grace through faith in Christ alone. Matthew 5 and verse 20. Look at the religious statement. Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He's in essence saying, you can have all the fundamentals in place. And I have been, over the last few years, taking a serious approach even to the way that evangelism should be done. Because a lot of times we we convert people to our doctrinal beliefs. And they cannot ignore they cannot ignore the Sabbath and the state of the dead and how to eat and how to live and how to dress and the sanctuary message and all the different doctrines of no eternally burning hell and you rest in the grave until Jesus comes. That's all a fact. You can't argue with that. But so many people come into this new understanding of God's word, but they bring this old life into it and they are never changed. So they enter into this new exercise of trying to be spiritual. By, but covering it up with simply being religious. So you believe the Sabbath, I believe the Sabbath. Well, Sabbath, keepers crucified Jesus. And the Sabbath is not the problem, is that they look at the Sabbath as an exercise of religion rather than a sign of our spiritual relationship with Christ. And so I've determined, I want people to know more about Christ What does it mean to be converted? What does it mean to be born again? I was talking to somebody last night. We had a family devotional last night. It's a tradition in our family. We literally sent out a Zoom link to family. We all get together. And we were talking about the price that Jesus paid to redeem us and the blood that he shed. And one of our family members said, well, Jesus shed a lot of blood. I mean, he was he was uh, he was scourged, he was whipped. They put a crown of thorns. All that blood he shed. I said, but that was not the blood that redeemed us. The blood that redeemed us was the blood and the water that came from his side after his death. He says, so what was that blood all about? I said that was the blood that was a symbol of the cost and the results of our sin. By his stripes, he was wounded for our transgressions. All that blood was, he was being wounded. He was bleeding for all that we had done wrong. But that was not the price for our redemption. Because if that lamb had not died, I said, if you notice in scripture, the lamb had to be perfect without spot and without blemish. And the devil tried his best to blemish the person of Christ, the Lamb of God. He tried to make him an unqualified lamb. He tried to He tried to make him so beaten that his sacrifice would be unacceptable. But the father saw it differently. By his stripes we are healed, but by his blood we are redeemed. Somebody ought to say amen. By his stripes we are healed, but by his blood we are redeemed. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world and I began to learn, and I'm just giving you an abridged version of it. But I began to see in Scripture, God opening my mind to understand, yes, until people understand the great price of their redemption, they will treasure religion above spirituality. They'll treasure their beliefs above their dedication to Christ. That's why Paul realized That I got to get this right. I was religious before I met Jesus, but I became spiritual after. And when he became spiritual, follow me carefully. When he became spiritual, nothing could prevent Paul from for standing for what was right and what was true when he was sold out to Christ. Nothing, Nothing could prevent him. Look at Philippians 3 verse 4 to 6. He was deeply religious, but he came to a point where he realized his religion was useless, and he declared these words. Philippians 3, verse 4 to 6. Notice what he says. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, (laughs) I more so look at his resume. Circumcise the eighth day (laughs) according to the law, of the stock of Israel, the chosen people, of the tribe of Benjamin, (laughs) a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, very zealous, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. That was his resume. He said, that's who I was. I was really, really religious. But after failing to reach the standard set by religion, Paul shifted his focus to reaching the standard set by Christ. What am I saying? In the book Acts of the Apostles, page 128, paragraph 1, Ellen White says, throughout his later ministry, throughout his what? Later ministry, Paul never lost sight of the source of his wisdom and strength. Now, in the beginning of his ministry, he was trying to tackle religion in in an intellectual way. He tried to argue with the Greeks. That's why when he got to the Romans, he said, I desire to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Because he couldn't out-philosophize the Greeks. Very intellectual. Christianity is not intellectual, but when you connect to the power that is available through spirituality, you'll discover that nothing could hamper the way that you worship the Lord. Now, what am I saying? What happened in 2020? Religious, happen, religious habits fill the space that should have been filled by Christ. I'm going to say that again. I'll say it another way. COVID-19 affected religion, but COVID-19 could not infect the Christ-centered life. Let me say that again. Churches closed down. People can't show up for regular church services. COVID-19 affected religion. But how did, how did those, and I've spoken to people on both sides. Some people said this is the worst year of my life. I've had other people say this was the best year of my life because I had discovered Christ on a new plane because all the distraction of people around me at church Feeling, and I'm in a religious environment, feeling that everything is there for my, he said, it got down to just me and God. And I realized that COVID-19 was the blessing of my life because it took COVID-19 to bring me back from more than 60 years of rebellion. So COVID-19 affected religion, but it could not infect the Christ-centered life. Why am I saying that? Because if you think COVID-19 is something, they're talking about a new strain coming out of London, showing up in different parts of the United States already. And the Bible doesn't say there'll be pestilence. It says there'll be pestilences. So we haven't seen the worst yet. And people are saying, what's the vaccination? What is the cure? When are we going to get rid of COVID? When are we going to get rid of diseases? When are we going to have a society that's nonviolent? When Jesus comes, that's when. Until then, we've got to understand that if our religion is based on things around us, we won't survive. But if it's based on the Christ that's within us, we can survive anything. Look at Romans 8 and verse 35. Romans 8 and verse 35. This is the Paul that was the spiritual Paul. This was the Paul that recognized, wait a minute. It can't be about me not being in prison. It's got to be about me whether or not I am in prison. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or COVID-19? Who shall separate us? No. Don't let anything separate. And then let's go to verse 37. Let's go to verse 37. This is the Paul that I want us to be parallel like. He said, I don't care about what's going on around us. He says in verse 37, yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is a statement we ought to adopt. For I am persuaded. Can we say that together? Let's say that together. Together. For I am persuaded that neither what? Death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Why? Because the devil has not yet shown us his darling weapons. He has not yet unfolded his best arsenal. And there are Christians falling left and right. I can't handle it. But the Bible told us that would come when tribulation arises, when persecution arises. They are offended. They can't hang in there. And they, they, they are, the, 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 the word is choked in them. And they cease to go on. And how sad it is in the parable of the sower... Only 25% of them, Terry, survived. Some had shallow religion. They got excited real quickly. The fruits came up very quickly, but they had no root. And when tribulation came, they, they disappeared. You can't see them. Others fell on stony ground. It was hard to penetrate their cold hearts. And there were those who lost their sight to riches and worldly honor And when tribulation came, they vanished. And then there was a 25% that just hung in there. Now, I don't want you to hang in anywhere. But I want to tell you something that you may already know, but you haven't tried it yet. And I'm not going to assume that you haven't. But I'm going to encourage you to keep going, because if you could take the time to hide God's word in your heart, do you realize that the only thing the devil is afraid of is a Christian whose life is filled with Christ and a Christian who can stand on a thus saith the Lord. I mean, Jesus in the in the wilderness of of, of temptation, he didn't say, Get thee behind me. He said, It is written. And if we can trace the victories that Jesus enjoyed, we would pattern our lives after the very similitude of the things he did. The word of God is our power. The word of God is our sword. The word of God is not our helmet, it's not our breastplate of righteousness, it's not our feet shod with the gospel of peace, it is the sword, it is the only offensive weapon in the Christian arm, and if you don't know how to use this sword, you are a beautifully clad soldier ready to become a casualty. I don't want to be a casualty, I'm, I know what that's like, I got this close to death a number of times, but by God's grace, I'm not even going to brag, but by God's grace, if I do what I know I must do. God will do what he has promised to do. 2020 challenged those driven by religious habits. What does that mean? People that habitually attended church had to find creative ways to sustain their relationship with Jesus. But those that had a daily commitment to reading the Bible and a personal devotional life, COVID-19 could not change that. Yeah, I could open my phone up and show you all these devotions. All these devotions. When I read devotions, we read them together. I copy them and highlight them and I have a whole file in my phone in the notes. Not, not Facebook notes. Great devotionals from Ellen White and Oswald Chambers. And I give my own personal titles. When I'm invited to put on, to be put on the spot, I can pull up a devotional. And I can remember that morning, that day, what was happening when God spoke to my heart afresh again. I'm saying to you, friends and family, only way that you're going to survive what's ahead of us is you've got to get a regiment. You've got to eat like there's no more food coming. You've got to eat like one day your Bible is going to be taken away. Oh, by the way, it will be. The sad reality those that relied on nourishment outside of their own personal effort began to starve, and eventually they succumbed to spiritual malnutrition. The churches today, I've seen religion outside of this. We were in California together. It's hard. When Sabbath comes, what are you going to do on Sabbath? We're going to go to the beach, go to walk in the forest, go for a ride on our bikes, And the devil is saying, great. Wonderful. I'm waiting for somebody to say, we're going to have worship together as a family. We're going to read our Bibles for more hours than we can during the week because we're not at work. We're going to pray together. So I ask these questions just to see what I'm going to get. What are you going to do today? Well, we're going to watch this religious movie. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not by any means slamming it. We're going to watch 3 ABN. That's great, but I just said, if you rely on spiritual nourishment outside of your own personal connection with Christ, it's just a matter of time before you become spiritually malnourished. So what we've been doing, we've been intentional about our spiritual life. Intentional. What word did I just say? Intentional. What does intentional mean? No. No. No, I'm going to read our, let's read our Bibles. No, turn that off. No, it's time to, no. And you know how shows are nowadays on television? You know, when one show ends, there's no commercials. They go right into the next one. Because they want to hook you. The devil will entertain you to hell. Wow. You know, I found ourselves, we like to sing. You know, Ryan I know what I'm talking about. Singers like to hear singers sing. This is the voice. Watch singers sing and compete. And that's what I was saying to my wife, why are we watching that? I don't care who wins. I want to win. I want to be on the winning team. And I'm not talking about winning a singing competition. I'm talking about winning eternity. So that's it. So you know, sometimes we find ourselves, I'm kind of I'm kind of giving you a Peek behind the Loma Cane curtain. So we found ourselves, well, we can't catch it today, so let's record it. Be careful. When you start recording things that take the place of your time to study God's word, the world slowly starts to creep in. And I said, honey, no, 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 no. (laughs) Delete, 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 delete. Pick up and read. And you know what? I can tell you when you read past, listen to, when you read past the yawning, the yawning stage. Because we all have a yawning stage when we open the Bible. Am I telling the truth? (sighs) You know, commercials, they change like every 10 seconds. But the Bible doesn't. The Bible is is not at 25 gigahertz speed either. It's slow as all get out. You got to read it. <laughs> it's going to stay the same. It's not going to switch like they do in commercials. You go, Lord, I grow out to you. And you recognize, you know what? I'm addicted. And I keep reading past the yawning stages. And when we end one chapter, you say, okay, oh. we made it through one chapter, just 10 verses. That was a lot. How long did that take? Two and a half minutes. Okay, close our Bibles. And I said, wait a minute. What on earth are we doing? Two and a half minutes for God? and an hour for a television program? No. Are you getting what I'm saying? Switch it around. Give God the hour. Shut the world down. So we read past that one, right, honey? So so we say, okay, okay, let's try the next one. And we look, it says 29 verses. That's long, 29 verses. Well, we read it, and it gets so good. Okay, let's try one more. And we find ourselves, you see, here's what I'm, I'm telling you the practicalities of Christianity. When you read your Bible past the yawning stages, all of a sudden, The Lord says, as it was to the shepherds, then all of a sudden the plane is filled with a host of heavenly beings and the glory of God is revealed. Can somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about? You got to read past the stages where the physical body starts feeling, why am I doing this? That's that cradle, that's that battle, that's that old man trying to fight you. Got to fight him back. No. Well, 15 minutes? No. Well, 10 minutes? No. Shut them off. And you know what else we've been doing? Turning our cell phones off. Because the devil has some folk that like to call right when you're out to study your Bible, right? Call them. And they got a crisis. And you can't hang up. And you shouldn't have picked up. And so we said, silent. And you know what? Technology nowadays, well, you silence your phone, but your watch vibrates. Take it off. Put it down. Go in the living room. Sit on the couch and get into it with God. And you know what? We got our highlighters. Get some highlighters. Rediscover your Bible. Are you listening to me? Make that book the only reason you're going to get out of here alive. Learn your weapon. Be the soldier with unlimited bullets. The devil come at you, Isaiah forty nine thirteen, Jeremiah 29, 11. Just shoot those texts. You can't fight the devil with ammunition you don't even know you have. Some people think they got ammunition. Where's my Bible? If you got to ask where your Bible is when the devil's coming after you, you already beat. Have you seen my Bible, honey? If you have to ask that question, you're in trouble. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? You better know where your Bible is. Put it closer to your bed than the phone. Amen, somebody. Because spiritual malnourishment has some spiritual signs connected to it. Physical malnourishment is synonymous to spiritual malnourishment. Look what happens. Look what happens when you disconnect yourself from the only thing that can sustain you. I looked this up and I thought, this is amazing, Will, that what happens to a person physically Is synonymous to what happens to a person spiritually when they don't study God's word. Listen to the symptoms. Listen to the symptoms. Medically speaking, I got this from a medical website, so it must be right. They said one of the first signs of malnourishment is reduced appetite. Spiritual things no longer appeal to you. Reduced appetite. Lack of interest in food and drink. Bible study loses its attraction. Food, feeling tired all the time, loss of spiritual energy, can't bother to go to. And you know what amazes me? This is what's amazing me. You ready for a blow up? We ain't even asking you to drive to church for prayer meeting. We're asking you to click on the internet. Duh. Just click the link we send you in an email. It could be frightening. You might discover something that might spiritually get your attention. Click on the link you get in an email. You don't even have to leave your house. You could do it with your slippers on. You can have your food right next to your computer. your drink there. Just click on it, and something might happen. How simple is it to access spiritual things? Yet how recalcitrant, feeling tired all the time, loss of spiritual energy. And then the next thing is feeling weaker, losing the ability to put forth spiritual effort. Bible says, I don't have time. Getting ill often and taking a longer time to heal. Unresolved issues. Now mal- malnourishment. Wounds take a long time to heal. Relationships remain uh, relationships remain broken. Wounds take a long time to heal. They say when a person is physically malnourished, they get a wound and it takes too long to heal. When a person is spiritually malnourished, your relationships cannot heal. Poor concentration. When is he going to end his sermon? Got to go home and sit down on my couch. Out of 168 hours, why does he want more than one? I don't want anything. And finally, feeling cold all the time, you're spiritually nearing death. Only dead people are really cold. That's why while everybody else is saying Happy New Year, the reality is church attendance and spiritual activity is at an all-time low. That's the fact. Did you see Times Square the other night? Those million people were home. They couldn't go to Times Square in New York City, so they still tried to fill us with hype, get us excited. Oh, a happy New Year. It's like celebrating death. They're all dying. This guy married to that guy, and this guy, this is my husband, and that guy married that husband, and they're laughing us into an adoration of sin, and somebody's on the top of a building they want to make you all enamored by the glory of the beauty of the lights and the camera, and the action, the purple lights and the great singers. And I'm thinking, let's just read our Bible. That's why now more than ever before, the words of the author of Hebrew need to be heeded with urgency. Hebrews 10.25, look at it. These are words from our commander-in-chief. He's saying you've got to do something differently. What are the f- two words? Not forsaking. What are they? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. How? Together. As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much the more. As you see the day approaching. Is the day approaching? Yes it is. It's coming. It's coming like a COVID-20. Because you see what happened in 2020. We didn't even know it was coming. Kobe Bryant got Lost his life, his wife, his daughter, and he said, it just crushed my world. I I you know I admire the young man, his accomplishments, and to see a young man and his daughter die in such a fiery helicopter accident, it brought me to tears. Only to realize that what was on the horizon will make us completely forget. That's how the Bible is saying, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The day is approaching. The day is approaching. What day? The day when men that are sinners would have wished they had turned their lives to Christ. What day is approaching? The day when they're going to look for the word of God. It will not be found. What day is approaching? The day when they'll be banging on the doors of the church and they'll be forever closed. What day is approaching? The day when people will not have the right in America to tell the truth. What do we believe? I don't know. Brethren, we gotta be evergreen trees. When the winter comes, we have to stay green in Christ. That's why the secret of the New Testament church was commitment. Commitment. What word did I just say? Commitment. Acts 2 verse 46 and 47. The secret of their success will be the secret of our success. And we are planning as a board to increase our activity for the new year. We have a week of spiritual renewal coming up. Whole week. Every day here starting on the 16th to the 23rd, every night here. We have some great speakers lined up. I'll tell you about it. And you should have gotten the email. But look at their secret. Look at the secret. Acts 2, verse 46. So continuing how often daily with one accord where in the temple. We're going to do that here. We want to begin the year doing that here. And breaking bread from house to house. Find ways to make your home a place where safely you can gather and break the word of God together. Start with your family. The Bible says they ate their food with what? Gladness and simplicity of heart. You should be glad when you can study God's word. And then it led them to do something else. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And what did God do? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being what? Saved god doesn't want to save folk that don't want to break bread and spend time in the house of God with each other in one accord you don 't just join the church to become an ornament. you join the church to become a community and When you work together and pray together and heal together and grow together and study together, you become just like that parable where God told a story about a, a whole herd of sheep and wolves that will always you know, eyeing the sheep to see if he could destroy one of them and get them away, but but I did not know this. I learned this is an amazing thing. The shepherd trained the sheep to heighten their natural instincts, and they had this natural instinct that in a herd setting, if they sensed danger, they pressed together. I mean, they pressed together, painfully pressed together as their bodies were being pressed together because the wolves, his job was, if I could dive into the pack, I could gain access to one of the wolves, I mean, one of the sheep. So what they did was when they sensed danger, the shepherd would corral them together and they would press together so much so that their backs became a flat plane. And when the wolf tried to jump in, all he could do was run from one end to the other. And ran right out because they created a flat plane along their backs. That was not the back of a sheep any longer, but it was a flat plane because they pressed together. God's people need to press together because the devil is looking for those who think that by themselves they could survive without the unity and support of being in one accord. So when we have opportunities to be here, to worship together, take advantage of it. Be a part of it. Gladness will fill the heart of those that spend time together in God's word. And like the New Year's Eve custom in the Italian province we talked about, sometimes we have to open the windows of our lives and throw things out that clutter our lives. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. The Philippian book, the book of the athlete, the spiritual athlete. Look what he says. He talks about how we can get rid of stuff. Here it is, Philippians 3, verse 7, he says, But what things we gain, what things were gained to me, these I have counted what? Loss for Christ. He began to inventory. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of how many things? All things in this is a powerful passage. And count them as what? Rubbish that I may gain Christ. What kind of rubbish is in your life? What's the rubbish that's cluttering your life? Is it on your iPad? Is it on your iPhone? It's on your Android phone? Is it in your CD player in the car? Is it in your DVD collection? Is it in the paraphernalia that's distracting you from getting to God's word? Is it, is it that thing that's really making your mind think that I can't concentrate too firmly on spiritual things? I'm challenging you, church, for the new year. Because I know I look in my basement and uh, I, I've been confessing too much here today. You guys need to give me a break. But um, I'm a thick a electronic guru, But I got old stuff. Okay, I'm getting older. I'm not there yet. But some of you are like me. You have old electronics. And you know when you have old electronics, you often replace those old electronics with new electronics. If you sell those electronics, the moment you replace them, they're worth more. I have a mixing board, Moses. I'd love to sell to you. It weighs about 90 pounds. I can't get it sold because it's old, yet it's still in my house. But I'm going to pray that God will give me the gumption that when spring comes, that Terry Shelton might see the need to buy it (laughs) and include it in his audio ministry. Old stuff, cluttering our lives. Stuff we put in the corner and under this and oh above that and when, and you know what we do when we clean the house we move it from one room to the next, right? Well, we're doing the same thing in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we the things that we keep close to our bed that you know enamor us when in fact our Bible is over there saying hello I'm right here. This year we have to take away the idea that. We don't, we still need these things. And that's what's holding us back sometimes. The world is saying to us, you'll still need me. Hold on to me. Don't get rid of me yet. But I've learned something very valuable. The longer you hold on to your possessions, the longer your possessions hold on to you. So let me get rid. Let me give you a get rid of it reason. Number one. People have the scarcity thinking. I might need it. But let me give you a get rid of it reason. The things that we think fill our need actually rob us of our spiritual need. Paul once again in Philippians 4:19. Why have I spent time in that book? It's the it's the book of the champion. When you feel that you have a need, that you're trying to find the world to fill, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And the problem with this passage is we always apply it to financial benefits. But notice what he says, Philippians four nineteen, Together, and my God shall supply what? All of your need according to his riches and glory. This is not financial needs alone. This is spiritual needs. God will supply all your spiritual needs. And when I talk about things like this, you know, we get all excited. It's, this, what is it, January two? And we go and we get all enthusiastic. We start putting down lists. Do that. But once again, I said to you, approach everything that you look at for this new year as though your life is on the line. Because it is. And the worst thing that we can say is the harvest is past. The summer is ended. 2021 is gone and we are still where we were before. I don't want to be there. What about you? I don't want to be there. I want to be able to go and find that Jesus is waiting for me. Jesus is waiting at the well. He's wanting to give me what I really thirst for. And when I take what he knows can only quench my thirst, maybe then I would have impetus to lay down the things that I'm trying to find can never quench my thirst. Look at John 4:15. This was the case with the woman at the well. She was there every day. She went there every day. Some people talk about how much time they put into things. This woman put her time into this every day. She went to the same well every day. Every day. In verse 15 of John 4, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And verse 28, and the Bible says, And the woman left her water pot. When she took up the water that Jesus had for her, she lost her thirst for the things that she was providing. And I'm saying to you, when you allow the Lord to be the one to provide your need, you will lose a thirst for the things that you think can please you because they really can't. Can you imagine how much money was spent this Christmas? We were down in Florida. The malls were Super spreader events. You go to our mall, our mall, you could have a funeral at our mall and nobody would know it. But it was like there was no COVID in Florida at all. There was no restrictions by the governor at all. Do it, The only restriction, strangely enough, is the churches were forbidden to open. What it blew me away is we walked, you know, we, we had a chance to go to some parts of the town and we kept, there were times we put on double masks and even have in my backpack my own temperature gauge. But well, we walked around Florida and we kept saying to each other, these folk are crazy down here. We walked past some establishments, some restaurants that had seating on the sidewalk as well as seating inside and everybody was sitting together like there was no disease. And it sounded like boiling water. The crowds were so thick. And I was thinking, honey, they're all seeking the same thing. They want to be happy. They want to enjoy life. I'm looking at the wealth and the the powerful, expensive cars and the Lamborghini and the Maserati and the beautiful purple cars and the red cars and just the lavish lifestyle. I'm thinking, Solomon was right. Vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. Vanity. And such will be the life of anyone who tries to fill the void that Christ wants to fill in our lives. Look at Luke 12 and verse 15. The Lord wants us to not allow the world to take the place that belongs to him alone. That's why I'm encouraging you, throw out whatever is taking the place of Christ. Luke 12 and verse 15, look at this. He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Not a thing that we bought this year is going to give us pleasure all year long. Because eventually it's going to lose its gain. It's going to lose its attraction. We're going to want to replace it with the next new thing. And then our joy and our dedication to Christ is going to once again waver. But if you hold on to those things that never waver, the Christ that never loses his attraction... The joy of studying God's word that never loses its power. You want drama? The Bible has drama. You want intrigue? The Bible has intrigue. You want to watch things that make you blush? The Bible will make you blush. You like war? The Bible is full of war. You like victory? You can find it in the pages of Scripture. You want to intrigue how Joseph was sold by his brothers, dropped in a pit, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, ended up in jail, and ended up in the palace? From pits to palaces, you'll find it. It's in the Bible. It's filled with stories that will thrill your soul. But here's the problem. We have allowed the world to do our thinking for us. When God is saying, hey, let's think together. Let's think together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's think together. Just a few more points before I end. What does God want to do for us this year? Isaiah 43, 19. What does he want to do for us? What does he want to do for us? Hmm. Right now, (laughs) this is funny. I've been getting all these phone calls from car dealers, sending me texts and emails, Nissan, Volkswagen, Lexus. I'm thinking, when you go on the internet to just do one search, you notice how it happens, Ricky? When you go on the internet to do a search, they say, put in your email. The moment you hit send, your phone rings. Like hounds. It's like the world never lets up. On my way to church this morning, phone calls, people trying to sell stuff. They want to sell me something new. And my wife and I keep saying, no, no. We just got out of debt. We like staying out of debt. Anybody else? Sometimes it's good to put your money aside and prepare for what's ahead of you. But look at Isaiah 43, 19. What does the Lord want to do for us? What does the Lord want to do for us? Behold, I will do a what? New thing. And it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Don't run past that. Because 2020 took us to the wilderness. 2020 took us to the desert, but God is saying it may be deserted, but I can make a road even in that. 2020 took us to the dry places, but God can take us to the oasis of his blessings. 2021 has not caught God scratching his head on his throne, wondering what to do next. Old things, old habits, old teachings, old beliefs, old practices, and even the, even the credulously, I can't even find the word, help me, Holy Ghost, even the ridiculous statement, I've always done it this way, get rid of that too. Break the chains of the past. And Choose to do a few things. Here's what they are. I have three last texts. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go to Romans 12.2. How do we get rid of the old habits, the old thought, the old thoughts, the old teachings, the old beliefs, the old practices? How do we do it? How do we do it? This is the practicality of the way that God wants us to be in this new year. How do we do it? How do we do it? Romans twelve two, and do not be conformed to what world, this world, but be what? Transformed. By the renewing of your mind. And what's the benefit? This is the benefit that we often overlook. Because people want to know whether or not not your Christianity works. People want to know whether or not your Christianity works. And I've learned something very valuable. If they don't see it working for you, they don't want it. If it don't work for you, why do I want to join something that ain't working for you? Why do, I want, why do I want to be a part of a failure because you're showing me in your life it doesn't work for you? That's why the latter part of this, I don't want to run past, that you may prove that means your life will have evidence. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? When your mind is renewed and your life is transformed, people will say, I've got evidence that this man, Jesus, is real, I see it in the life of the person that attends that church or the teacher that teaches that class or the person that works with me that goes to that particular congregation, I see the proof that there's something good and acceptable, a- acceptable and perfect, and that person's life has evidence that Jesus is real. You see, our goal is to be like Jesus. And in Jesus, there is no value in nostalgia. There is no value in things that used to be done. There is no benefit in what used to be. Christ wants to do a new thing. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Here's another passage you are greatly familiar with, but it fits perfectly into the new year. Notice what the Bible tells us by the Apostle Paul. He has been our teacher today. For the most part, Isaiah has contributed, but Paul has been speaking to us all morning. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, a text for a new year. Therefore, if anyone is where in Christ, he is a what? New creation, old things. What kind of things? Old things have passed away. You know what that, another phrase for passed away is? died. Behold, all things have become new. So here is the formula for a new beginning. Number one, it's not what we need. It's whom we need. Say that again. It is not what we need. It is whom we need. Formula number two, it is not what we paid for, but it is what Jesus paid for. That which he paid for will never lose its value. Thirdly, it is not the thrill of getting more, but the blessing of being more. I want to be more. I want to be more of what Christ wants me to be for the new year. What about you? I want to be that individual that people can say, it's working, I'm seeing some changes, praise God, and those changes can only happen if Christ is on the inside Producing the evidence that he is at home and he is working. And number four. It is not the connection to earthly relatives alone. But the unbroken connection to our heavenly father. That is going to carry us through. This year 2021. Alan White says in Desire of Ages. Page 224 and 225. These words, because sometimes people think to themselves, okay, Ron, is it going to work? If I follow the Lord, is it going to work? Listen to these words of inspiration, beautifully put. Very short sentence, very short paragraph. She says, God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led. If they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. If they could see the end from the beginning, they would say, I wouldn't choose any other direction other than the direction that God chose for me. So I don't know where you are, but I'm going to end with the passage that I began with. I want us to throw out the clutter of 2020 and make room for God's blessings and provisions And presence in 2021. Is there a particular formula? It all comes down to what you want. Do you want it badly enough? Do you want to maintain. uh, Walk or steps with the world that's falling apart. Or do you want to become so fortified. For the new year that nothing can separate you from. The love and power and blessings of God. The apostle Paul said it to us in the beginning. And I say it to you at the end again. Philippians 3, verse 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained. 2020 has been a bad year, but a good year to some degree. Or am already perfected. God is still at work. But I press on. I do what? I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I see Christ wanting to pass the baton to me. I got to keep running to grab it. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. Bear with me. But one thing I do, let's say this together. Forgetting those things which are behind. Come on, give me more umph. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What do we do together? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is that what you want this year? The call is still there, but you got to press to it. Notice, you got to press to it. You can't float to it. You can't slide to it. You got to press to it. You got to be the football player that sees the goal and you see the opposition, but you got to press. You got to press. You want to press this year? Let's stand together and ask God to press in our lives as we throw out the clutter of 2020 and make room for the blessings, provision, and presence of God in 2021. Father in heaven, you told me to take the practical approach today, just to talk to the congregation, to talk to those who have tuned in today, to take inventory of our lives. It is so easy to fall back into the rut of being religious and just use the cliches to bring Enthusiasm and excitement. But Father, the practical places of life are where we live. The mountaintop experiences can carry us but for a few seconds. The lights, the camera, and the action can make us feel good, but there's no sustaining value there. So I pray today, Father, that you'll reach into the hearts of your people. Help us to stand in front of the mirror, and you be the one that examine us and show us our deficiencies. Show us where we can be stronger better, more spiritual, more dedicated. Awaken within us a thirst for your word, a desire, a hunger, a thirst for righteousness. And we know that when we hunger and thirst for your word and for righteousness, we will be filled. You promise. Help us to fight the feelings that the Bible is not interesting, that it's somehow a book that we can save for later and we pick up our devices instead and we go to the internet and all the electronic distractions around us. Lord, help us to do as Jeremiah said, ask for the old paths where righteousness dwells and find the walk with you. Because Lord, we know if 2020 has taught us anything is that the world can change in a split second and catch us. Unaware. And we don't want that to be the case in 2021. We want to go forward. We want to go upward. We don't want to look back. We don't want to hold on to the things of the past. We want them buried to make room for the blessings, the provision, and the promises that you have available for us in 2021. So teach us, Lord, how to throw it out and make room for you. This I pray, this we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, amen and amen.